part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. Quick overview, uh, we're going verse by verse through Malachi um, for the last three weeks. And basically, it is uh, you, you should know, kind of know by now if you've been here, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Right after this indictment, these charges that, that God brings against uh, the priests, the people that are his priests, that are his people, and he brings these charges, and uh, they have the audacity in all seven of the charges that he brings, these indictments, to ask, how? And uh, we said last week, you know, that can you can you really be clueless and culpable at the same time? And I think we gave enough earthly examples to say, yes, that can happen. But it's not because you're ignorant, and it's certainly not that you're not responsible. It all comes, that cluelessness comes, sometimes comes, especially in spiritual life, when we allow our spiritual senses to be dulled. And simply that's what's happening to the Israelites now. They've allowed, uh, they've come back from captivity and uh, they've allowed, they've rebuilt the temple, they've uh, rebuilt some of the walls, and they've allowed themselves to become very, very complacent in their worship, very complacent in their attitude toward God. And God takes it very seriously. And so most of the charges we see centered around, even though they're different charges and different actions that they were doing, he brings it back to one thing that I hope that you've already seen. Maybe you've uh, highlighted in, in, in the scripture that you're looking at and the way that you're studying. But it all comes down to his name. I want you to notice how many times he talks about his name and that these offenses come against him and yet he says against my name. Now why does God keep on saying that these offenses of the Israelites are against his name? Because he wants us to know that this is very, very personal. There's one thing if I just kind of talk to somebody, or in general, I just say people. But when I point out, and I say Dustin, and all of a sudden, I, I call you by name. And let's just say that I brought an indictment, not against the people, but I said, you know, Dustin Davis. And then all of a sudden, I mean, Melissa scoots over a little bit and lets you be, just be in the highlight of that. It gets really personal, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's something about her name. I mean, you may have a name like John Smith. And so you say, well, a lot of people have the name John Smith. But no, you know what I'm talking about. Your name is very unique. It does capture who you are. And when God says that this fence is against his name, he's talking about, guys, this is not generic in nature. I take this offense, this lack of worship, this lack of seriousness, I take it, I take it very personally. And I keep on asking how we've done this. And, and God always gives them an answer. One of the things, I hope you see the grace and the mercy. I hope you see that because he brings a really heavy indictment against the pastors today, against the priest. And I want you to understand that God doesn't have to answer, how have we done this? Whether we really are clueless or we're totally culpable or or if we do it out of rebellion. Remember it said last chapter that they snorted at God? This is not the, the attitude that really... It's really good to expect blessings in your life. <laughs> that you would be so offended by what God has said to you that you would snort at him. And yet in his love and his grace and his mercy, when they ask, how have we offended you? How have we done this? How have we done that? He gives them answers. Please see the grace and the mercy 
Not that God is lowering himself to man's standard, but that he loves you and I so much that even in those rebellious times, how have I done that? That he's shown us this tremendous mercy and grace by actually giving answers. And in the last one, when they have just not worshipped well, they've been bringing really broken animals and, and defiled animals to, to be sacrificed. Look what he says, Malachi 1.7. We're going back one chapter real quick to kind of get the context. God's answer, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table has been may be, uh, may be despised. They knew better. The law was very clear. They knew Levitical law. They knew what it said in Numbers and Deuteronomy and different places like that. But they had grown spiritually insensitive. How does that happen? How does a believer who has professed Jesus Christ, who says at some point in their life, yes, I believe in Jesus, I have Christ in my heart, I follow God. How does a believer become spiritually insensitive, dull to the Spirit's moving, especially when we know better. How do we become insensitive to the truth? Basic answer, it is sin, and sin is always going to be a distraction. It's going to take our eyes off of God and put it on the things. But mainly when we don't see the holiness of God, when we don't see the preciousness of His Word, I don't know if you've ever seen those videos before, but in foreign lands where they don't have the Bible like we have and just at their disposal. Have you ever seen some of those clips of they bring a case of Bibles in there and they put them out before the people? I wish I would have kind of gotten one off of YouTube. But the people, they cry. I mean, they absolutely cry. And they hold it up like they have just received the most magnanimous thing in the whole world, like the, the most treasurous thing in the whole world because they have the Word of God. Now again, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty because I would be among those that are guilty that sometimes, you know, we just open up the Word of God, we go through our devotion, then we kind of go on, turn on ESPN or whatever it is and kind of finish out the morning. Not moved at all by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. It can happen to all of us. We've said so many times, our spiritual life, hot and cold, feverish, lukewarm, we've all been there. But how do Christians, how do people of God become spiritually dull? When we remove ourselves from the Word of God and we don't remind ourselves of the holiness of God. I would say you do those two things in your life and, and, and they're, they're together. Because we find out about the holiness of God from the Word of God. It's not that the Spirit of God can't give us kind of special things in our own mind, but I promise you, what we know about God and what we know and can understand about His holiness, you're going to find it right here. So one of the surest ways to become dull and insensitive, offensive to God, is that we just not be, that we're not people of the Word. He's offended by His name. Why? Because this is so personal to God. Look at verse 14, and then we'll start with the new part. This is the last verse. Cursed be the cheat who has made the male in his flock, who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices the Lord that which is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. He takes it personal. Why isn't it personal when they brought diseased lambs, broken animals, 
to be sacrificed. What was the sacrificial table a pre-picture of? Go ahead and say, you're right. The cross in, in, in Christ. That ultimately the Lamb of God is going to come. Jesus Christ is going to come. The perfect sacrifice. And it's going to be the end of all sacrifices because there doesn't need to be another sacrifice. But this is the system that they're under right now, all pointing to Christ. And so this is the way. It never forgave them of their sins. It just kind of covered their sins. Christ is the one who redeems us from our sins. But this was the system. And by bringing the system, by bringing this broken you know, substitute or sacrifice that they had cheapened God's grace in a way. Somehow we took, I mean, can you imagine taking this work of Christ? Just, I mean, remember in the Bible? Oh, God forgives sins. Our Jesus Christ's death forgives sin. So I guess we can just sin all the more. And Paul goes, no, you're not getting it at all. But they were cheapening grace. So, okay, if grace comes through the forgiveness of our sin, then we'll just sin all we want and let grace abound. And Paul goes, he uses a double negative. No, no, you're not getting it. No, this should bring you to your knees so that you live in gracious, just gratitude that God would forgive you. Does that make sense? Because if we grasp that, we begin to understand what comes next. In chapter 2, of how God goes from that place and something that they should have understand so clearly, and yet it's just they're clueless to it. I was thinking the other day, have you ever seen some of these warning signs? And it's really ridiculous what they put on some of the warning signs. And you're going, okay, what do you think we are, just stupid? And they would say, yes. Because for every warning sign there, there's probably one person that did that and that they just kind of had to kind of put this warning on there. Uh, can we show that first one? This is some uh, shampoo um, for uh, the, the dogs. And, and there it says, this is kind of a funny one. This is a helpful. Remember to eliminate all escape routes well in advance. A tip. Once your pet is slippery wet, he or she will suddenly become smarter and faster than you are. (laughs) I don't know that that had to be on there, but that's good truth. So that kind of warning goes, okay, just in case I've never experienced that, you know, and Rover wants to get away, I'm glad that they get it. But not everything is quite that, what's that a picture of? Guy using this rope, he's scaling the side of a mountain, and yet the warning says what? a little bit of false. So maybe you're going, okay, I was going to do it because the picture shows a guy climbing the mountain. I'm glad you said that. Okay, so maybe that one's not quite as insulting. Well, what about the next one? Okay, this is a a basket of eggs, six large eggs, (laughs) just in case you knew you were allergic to eggs and yet you bought six eggs. They want to make sure that you, this contains eggs. You're not going to open this up and find candy, okay? There's actually eggs inside these eggs. Now, the, now this is only a guy thing. Women, you don't have to worry about this, okay? This is a guy thing. This is like a transfer thing. Caution, this activity involves using a hot iron. Only an adult should do this activity. Be careful. Cardboard transfer will still be hot. Do not iron wear wearing shirt. How many guys... Have iron while you're wearing a shirt. Are you? Uh, 
I would have, I would have, I would have thought that you and I would not be the only ones. I'm really surprised. Either we're the only two that are admitting it, Eric, or we're the only two that needed that warning. Yes, exactly. That's true. Now this one kind of has me confused. This is from a cleaners and it's the old fashioned hangers. Caution. I mean, in really big words, okay? Do not swallow. Or you're going to look like that guy. Now, Andy, you just happen to be sitting up, up front. Has there ever been a time that you went to a closet, you saw the, the, the hangers there, and thought to myself, you know, that looks kind of appetizing. Or I wonder what that would be like if I ingested this. Have you ever once even thought about swallowing a hanger? Uh, not once. Not once. And so that kind of confuses me. That says, okay, you're really not that smart if you go to the closet and you think, you know, I'm going to think about digesting this. Last one. I think it's last one. Oh, wait, no, this was a good one. After my little home uh, thing yesterday, I, I thought this was really good. Now, this one isn't in words. It's in the instruction manual. But they want you to know that if you do have a nail gun, do not accidentally put it on somebody's head. This is always really good information. This is probably helpful to us right here. And I think this is the last one. Okay. Read through this. Think through this, okay? Think through this. The insult of insults is that if you touch these wires and you instantly died, that they're going to fine you on top of that. I mean, isn't the fact that you died enough? Do they really need to get $200 from you? We could see many, many more because they're just ridiculous. I'll never forget business law class in, in, in college. And one of our cases that, that we had to look and examine, two guys, they couldn't watch the ball game until the hedges were done. One of them gets this really bright idea, oh, let's get the lawnmower, put it on two-by-fours. You get on one side, I get on the other side. And they carry it down the hedges, letting the, the lawnmower kind of trim it. And one of them slipped and fell. They got cut, and they sued the company. Do you think the case had any merit? They won the case. Who just said that's crazy? Yes. That's the mindset that God is taking. He said, this is so obvious that I've set up the sacrificial system pointing to my son one day. They don't know all the details of the son coming one day. They know that there's a Messiah, that he's going to be the final sacrifice. They don't know it all, but they're, he's going, this is crazy. <laughs> You're going to give me your first fruits. You're going to give me your very best. It's very clear. I've said it time and time again in Leviticus and all these other places, and yet you would bring to me defiled animals? You'd bring to me what nobody else would want? And so look at the charge of, we're finally in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Oh, now, and who does he address? The priest. This command is for you. He's been talking to the people. He's been talking about the nation of Israel altogether, you know, the, the Jewish people. But now he says, okay, priest, pastors, this one's for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. 
kind of a divine oxymoron, one theologian calls that. I'm going to curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Who is God calling out? The priest. Now, why? The people are the ones that are bringing the, the defiled lambs and goats and other animals. They're the ones that said, hey, this goat is, I don't want to eat this goat. It's kind of foaming at the mouth. I don't want to bring this to my family, but we'll take it to the church and we'll sacrifice it and hope that God accepts this sacrifice. The people are the ones doing it, but yet God's indictment comes against who? The pastors. Why? Because they're the ones in charge. They're the ones in charge of the sanctuary. They're kind of in charge of the altar. If he speaks truth and he says, you cannot bring that defiled animal in here, that's not acceptable. Do you think the people might go home and find a more acceptable sacrifice? So even though the people are doing it, God says, my charge is against you, pastors, because you allow this. And you know better than anybody what I demand and what I've called for. In fact, let's look ahead. Well, we'll come back to the verses 3 through 6. But look at verse 7. Malachi 2.7 For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. He said, here's what you should be doing because in verses 4, 5, and 6 and 7 he actually begins to say, okay, this is what a pastor should do. This is what the priest should be doing. But first he brings this indictment because they're not doing that. And he paints this picture and he said, a priest should guard knowledge. Are we living in a day and time when the truth of God being attacked, that it is the responsibility of all the people of God, but the pastors to guard knowledge? Would you say that that's one of our responsibilities? Yeah. This is scary for a pastor to preach. As I sit back and I go, my goodness, God, today, everybody is responsible for your own walk, and yet the role that you've called me to, Jeff too, our elders too, is to shepherd these people. And this great responsibility of shepherding these people means that, that we are to guard knowledge. And when you were teaching in there this morning, Brian, as one of the elders and one of the leaders in the church about the basis of Christianity, what happens if you all of a sudden, when you're talking about the deity of Christ and how he was fully human but fully man, and what if you would have said, but you know, we don't really know about this fully human part. Oh my gosh. All of a sudden, somebody who's given the responsibility to guard truth. Now, he didn't say that. I'm trusting you did not say that. And Taylor's shaking his head. No, he did not say that. But do you understand? So, so right now, there's about six people at the church. Jeff, myself, the elders <laughs> this morning. Guys, our ears need to be the, the, the biggest here to hear the closest because this is the indictment that God brings. Not against the people verse, but against the pastors. Go back to verse 3 talking to the pastors, the priest of that day, he said, Behold, I rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. 
It's the first of four beholds. You'll see in chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 5, this behold. In other words, God's saying, I make a statement. Let me make this really clear. And what he makes clear here is, look, you keep doing this. You become this kind of pastor, this kind of priest. Behold, the fallout will be great. It's not only will I curse your blessings that I've blessed you with, but it will affect your offspring. Wow, that's a heavy. That's something I could do in my role that God has called me to can affect my children. Not because of their sin, which they have, but because of my sin. Wow. And then he says something that is quite graphic, but it's meant to be graphic. One thing I love about the Bible is that there's times when, when we look at the tone that God uses, that he's soft. And there's other times that he's really hard and he's harsh and he's graphic. And this is an occasion where he's quite graphic. He said, I'm going to spread dung on your faces. Now, what is the dung that he's talking about? This is the waste of the sacrifices that they were bringing. This goat who's foaming at the mouth, when they would sacrifice even the perfect goat, or, you know, these really, the, the ones that were acceptable, not to try to get too graphic, but when they would sacrifice it, there would be the excrement of those animals. And back in Levitical law, they were, it was very clear. God said, you take this waste material, you take it outside the camp, you deposit it there, you burn it there, you come back in, you clean yourself so that you can be worthy, that you can be ceremonially clean again. He said, these two things I have against you, or these two fallouts, I will rebuke your children, I'll spread dung on your faces. faces. And yet, if you look in that verse, there's a lot of ifs and thens in verse 2. Look at verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay to heart. He says, right now, I've cursed this because this is how you're acting. But when you have an if-then, is there a little bit of hope? He says, this is how it is right now because this is how you're acting. But I'm a gracious God. And we're going to see that he says, okay, you changed this. And I won't send the curse anymore. Even when he's been offended, down to the core of his name and who he is, he's given grace and he's given mercy. He's given opportunity. Folks, it's very, very late here, but it's not too late. What an amazing thing. He said, I will spring, uh, spread this dung on your faces. Uh, again, the, the, the dung from the defiled sacrifices. Look at Leviticus 16, 27, and 28. This is just one of many, many places that it says in the Bible the exact thing that you're supposed to do with this waste material of the, the animals that were sacrificed. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. So where's the sacrifice made? In what we would call the, like the sanctuary, in the holy place. And, and what did you do with the excrement? What did you do with this dung? 
You carry it outside of the camp. And it says, their skin and the flesh and the dung shall be burned up with fire. Verse 28. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into camp. They were ceremonially unclean. But he gives them exact instructions. Here's how you deal with this. And now as part of the indictment, part of the curse, he said, I take this dung and I spread it on your faces, priest. Now, in one way we can say God's kind of, as my daddy would say, royally tipped off. And in a way he is. But in another way, he's showing grace and mercy. Because sometimes the hard thing is the good thing. I mean, think about it. These priests, they hear that. How can you remain with a heart unchanged when God says, I'm going to put the dung of these animals on your face? They know what it means. It means you're ceremonially unclean. It means you are disqualified for the service that you were called to. It goes on and on. They knew what it meant. Do you think that maybe in some way this is God's attempt to wake them from their spiritual sleep? God does not owe us that. And yet in his grace, he gives us that. Some of the worst things that could ever happen because of our sin in our life. We're going, man, God must have really been mad. Have you ever thought that maybe God was just really gracious? Have you ever thought that maybe that low point when you were trusting in self was the very time that you turn your eyes to heaven and you say, I want to put my trust in him and him alone. That's grace, guys. That's love. And it was unpleasant. It was as unpleasant as having dung on your face. Graphic and extreme. But even now, for the purpose, not just for a curse, but the hope of repentance. Does that make sense? There are two ways that we can look at tragedies in life and these curses, if we want to call them the curses of God. And one is God is just so royally ticked and that's not fair and other people have done worse. The other one is to turn our face to the heavens and say, God, in all this misery and all of this that I brought upon myself, to be honest, you've allowed me to experience some of the weight of this sin so that I would see that you're the only answer. In my life, you're the, you're the only hope I have. And it brings us to the end of ourself. If God has ever allowed circumstances to bring you to the end of yourself, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's an amazingly great thing. Because there's no better place to be on earth, folks, than the end of yourself. No other place but to be the end of yourself. And yet for some of us, it's a really long, hard journey to get there, isn't it? We fight, we contort, we compare. Well, I don't know why he is. If he's bringing this on me, why didn't he bring it to them? They've done two times worse. We have every answer in the book of why God should do it this way or that way. Next time God brings you down, allows you to suffer some of just, you know, your own sin or maybe somebody else's sin. It doesn't even have to be your own thing. And yet it brings you down. If your eyes are turned to him as a result of coming to the end of yourself, this is a good thing. And here he uses something very, very graphic. I don't think it's symbolic. I think he was going to say, I will put dung. It is symbolic, but it's even that much. I will put the dung of these 
you know, defiled animals on your face because he knew what that meant. God's intention is to discipline them so that they will come back and keep his covenant. Look at verse 4. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you. What's the next part? What's the next phrase? That my covenant with Levi may stand. Do you you understand what's happening here? This command that I give to you, this this action that I'm going to do, putting this dung on your face. I, I do this for one reason, so that you might come back and understand that I've made covenant with you. These were the Levites. These were the priestly clan that got originally made with Aaron. Then they kind of blow it a little bit and he comes back and he makes it with Phineas. He said, my heart is, is that this covenant would go on and that you would be this godly people that I've raised up so that you can lead my people. God's heart here is one of wrath, but it is one of tremendous grace and mercy because his whole purpose is that there would be repentance and a turn. Look at verses 5 through 7. This is what he intended the priestly people to be to the people of the church. This is what he would expect from pastors. You can put it that way. So let's look at the, the list of things that he says that a pastor should be. My covenant was with him was one of life and peace. So we were to be people that bring life and peace. And I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear. We are to have this covenant of awe. That's what he says. And he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Brings it back to his name. True instruction was in his mouth. And no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And he turned many away from iniquity. Do you see the cause and effect there? The role of leadership? He said, now if this pastor is doing what he's supposed to be doing, where he upholds the truth of God, and he bring, he's going to bring peace to people, he's going to bring life to people, not because of him, but because he's just simply doing what God has told him to do, and he's sharing the truth of God's word. And he said, many as a result of that, of being under that leadership of a pastor, a priest doing his job, is that they will do what? Turn from their iniquity. Another word for iniquity? Their sin. Anybody have the bulletin? Somebody want to read out loud what Martin Luther said? The little quote down there in the corner? Back page, note page? Dustin, you got that? Been there. <laughs> I'm a very imperfect pastor, and yet you preach sin, and, and he says, you know, it should have two results. It's going to go one of two ways. Hopefully, if the, the Spirit of the Lord is there, he said, they're going to turn from their sin. They're going to start to hate their sin, or they're going to start to hate you. And I've been on both of those. <laughs> Does that make sense, what God is saying here? That if the pastors, if the priests, he's calling them back. He said, I want to keep this covenant. I'm a covenant keeper. I call you back to it. You have totally blown it, but, but I'm giving you this opportunity to restore to you this role that I've called you to. What happens if we don't speak truth? 
but we could kind of take the opposite of each of those. No real life, no real peace, no real awe of the holiness of God, no more uh, real uprightness, and no more turning people from iniquity. If anything, we've just opened the gates of iniquity. That's why James said it this way in James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I, I would think that that's all teachers, you know, teaching truth. But I think especially pastors, elders. Paul said it this way to young Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I don't know if I want to preach anymore. I mean, do you remember the first time that you became parents, if, if you're a parent, and you brought this little human home? And you had one responsibility. Keep the little human alive. Do you remember how overwhelming that was? All of a sudden there's a role there that you kind of knew was coming, but all of a sudden you're looking down this little baby girl, this little baby boy, and you're going, oh my goodness, the responsibility. I have one job. Keep the little human alive. I don't know if I can do it. This is what God, he's not placing this as a weight upon the priest. He's placing it there to stir their cold hearts, to give them opportunity to come back. So is this all on just the pastors? Now let me tell you your part and then we'll close. One of the most important decisions that you will make in your life is the spiritual authority that you place yourself under. Where you go to church and who you sit under. Husbands, fathers, I say that even more so to you. Because as you direct your family, you've been given this responsibility of directing your family. And one of the most important decisions that you will make is where do we attend church? Who do I place my wife? Who do I place myself? Who do I place my children under? Are they preaching truth? Are, are they consistent? Is their life, it's far from perfect, but is, are they consistent to what they say? Most important, one of the most important decisions that you can make. And that's where we have shared responsibility here. I am to be the pastor that God has called to speak the truth and not water down things just because culture changes. To speak truth, but to speak it in love and grace and mercy. And your responsibility is to make sure that you're in a church. Now here's the good part. Here's the really good part. I can almost throw a rock within five miles of here and you can find four, five, six, seven, eight good churches that I believe that are preaching truth. You drive 10, 15 miles, you can probably pass 40 churches that are, that the pastors are preaching the word of God and they're preaching truth. We are very blessed. Remember, these people, how many churches did they have? They go to the temple. They go to the temple and that's their church. 
And so if their leadership is fault, they can't go, okay, we're going to go down the street. They can't be like that uh, sole survivor that they found on the island. When they rescued him, he'd been there for 13 years. And they found him. And they were kind of impressed by all the things that he was able to build during that time. And they noticed two different buildings. They said, well, those two buildings. And he said, oh, those are churches. They said, but you're the only one on the island. Why are there two churches? I got mad at the one church. <laughs> what a great responsibility to choose a church. I, 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 we try, we try. We are so imperfect as pastors and elders. But we want to love you well and we want to lead you well. That's why we go to the Word of God. That's why Sunday morning we're just going to plagiarize the Word of God. Because my comments really don't matter that much. But the Word of God gives life and freedom and all those things. And so here's the thing. Whether you pick CS or another one of a lot of really good churches in there, please make sure that as you choose a place to attend and raise your family, that primarily you're looking... Are they preaching the word of God? Are they looking to God in his truth? And are they holding it high? Second thing, you have to hold your pastors accountable. That doesn't mean question everything that hurts your feelings. It means hold them accountable to the word. We'll close with this because it's one of my favorite examples. And I, I, I think I mention it often. I want you to actually see it in Scripture. Because I think it's a perfect picture of the New Testament church working in unison with the leadership, but also responsibility for the fellowship and, and the people that are in the pews, if you want to say it that way. And it's when Paul and Silas go out and they're on mission trips and they're going into a, a new place. And they would always, when they would new, enter to a new city, if there was a synagogue there, a Jewish synagogue, they would always go there first and preach there first. And then they might go to some home churches and different things like that. But they would always start in the synagogues. And look what it says when they went to Berea. Acts 17, verse 10 and 11. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. But then what does it say? Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You know what that means? Paul would preach. They would take notes. They would go home and study the word of God. And they come back the next week. Paul, you can go ahead and preach again tonight. Because everything you said did line up with scripture. There was accountability. Paul's an apostle. He's got spiritual authority. He's got a title. No, they went home and they made sure that he held, upheld to the truth of the word of God. We have a dual responsibility. I have a responsibility. These elders have a responsibility. Jeff has a responsibility that we would lead you in the word of truth. But you have a responsibility making sure that we're preaching truth and hold us accountable. It's really a good relationship. So my prayer is that we would take seriously because this is quite the indictment. I have so much sin in my life, guys. And yet I pray that God would never say, you know, Bobby, I put dung on your face. I disqualify you from ministry. 
because you've abused this power. You haven't taken responsible to teach the people the word of God and my mercy and grace. That's overwhelming. And yet your responsibility is the same. Seek truth. Hold your pastors to truth. Be people of truth. Or go somewhere and find truth if it's not in your church. Correct it if you can. And if they're not hearing, if the leadership is not hearing correction, go find a place that's preaching truth. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. This is a hard word, Father. It's a hard word for me. Because I know my sin. And Father, that's why I come and I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for that ultimate sacrifice, your very lamb, perfect in every way. Not just to cover temporarily my sins, but to redeem me and, Father, to buy me back from my sins, to forgive everyone and to cleanse me as white as snow. This is our message, Father. And anything short of this gospel, anything short that gives life, Father, I pray, Father, that you would bring that wrath, that correction to the pastors, the elders of this church, Father, so that we might repent and turn our hearts back to you. Father, I pray for our people. Father, we have many here that are looking for a church. They're, they're, they're looking and examining their they're saying, well, where do we want to raise our girls, our boys, our, our kids? Where do, where do we want to foster our marriage, our young marriage? And Father, that is overwhelming to know that you've put them, in, at least for right now, under our care. But Father, I pray that you give them spiritual sensitivity, that Father, that they would be like the Bereans, that they would hear the word of truth, the word of God, and they would go home and they would examine, Father, and that they would hold, that we would hold each other accountable. For Father, this is what you promised, that there would be peace, that there would be life, that there would be hope, because there is truth. So Father, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the joy. Thank you for the calling. And we love you, Father. Father, we, we, we love you that even when you go to the extreme, that you bring us to our knees sometimes, but the only purpose is so that we would look and turn our faces heavenward and we would find the hope that is in Christ. And we pray that that would happen even this morning. Turn our hearts to Jesus, Father. We love you and we thank you as we sing this love song to you, a proclamation of our faith, a profession of our belief, For we pray it in the powerful name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.com or find us on Facebook.